Uh, good afternoon, everyone. It is lovely to see uh, so many of you, even though we had planned a whole bunch of people when you were going to be away, particular things. Uh, really appreciate um, being with you and anyone who's new here. There's a bunch of people whose uh, faces I've seen a few times or very, very few times. Um, it is uh, yeah, lovely to see you and uh, do come up and say good day to me afterwards. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to lead us in a little bit of a time of prayer. Uh, we're about to hit a whole new book, a whole new section of God's Word, a whole new type of bit of God's Word. And... Uh, uh, it'd be really lovely to have God speak to us in a powerful way that's really changing. Um, I would love that, for God to do that. Um, and yet God's actually got much better plans than me. I'm thinking about how to make things better and change things and make gains, and, and, and yet he's going to have plans to do far more powerful and beautiful things. So uh, it might, might be a good time for us to gather together and ask God to do what he wills to do in us through the book of Ecclesiastes as we open it up. Let's, let's pray. Uh, God, I, um, uh, I'm so thankful for you to sp- speaking to us. Um, Father, we, uh, we need to hear from you, not just because we need to be told what to do, not just have information transferred to us, but to hear your voice, to hear you speak words of love and care and wisdom as a tender father does. And so, Father, as we get into this bit of wisdom, Father, please do speak to us. Please speak tenderly, we ask, for we're so glad that, as, uh, as the song we just sang uh, reminds us, that you do get our frame. You know that we're just dust. And so, Father, as, as not just dust, but as broken, sinful dust who has um, not honoured you like we should, Father, we come before you now confessing who we really are, just as ourselves. God, the Pete that is, not the Pete that I wish I could be, not the Pete I'm trying to be, and the same for all of us. Father, we ask that you would here lovingly and kindly address us. Talk to us. Give us life through your words. God, we ask it because we need it for our good, but also because, Lord, we've come to know you through Jesus, and he deserves to be glorified and honoured, and we seek to do that and we want that. So we ask you, Lord, for our good, but also for his glory. And we ask it in his name in that case. Amen. I feel a hand on my shoulder. Um, Mel's shaking me to wake me up. I've overslept again. I still can't quite believe that after all these years, I'm still making so little progress at getting up earlier. Fiotti's asking me for the the third time now to come downstairs and make a crepe mix for his breakfast. And the the, the 10% of my brain that's actually conscious is quite annoyed at the nonsensical words that I can hear coming out of my mouth. That's probably annoying Fiotti too. As I walk past the window, I notice the mountain and I remember that the lease expires in December and so somehow it just makes me feel like, I feel like I haven't been doing a very good job of of enjoying the views that we've got while we've got them. I really got to get better at that. As I take the first few steps, descending the steps, I feel the tightness in my calves from the soccer game yesterday. It seems like I'll just never get out running often enough to feel good playing again. And I wonder, just will my team, will I ever get their lineup settled enough from week to week so that the team play, the bit that I'm actually can still contribute in in some way, will actually help our performance? Mel's working today. Uh, that means I'm on lunches. I'm forever just getting that, that same greasy crumb from yesterday's lunchboxes out of that corner that you can't get out each morning. 
cleaning just to put food, leftover food that I'll throw out tomorrow, back in the same spot that I just wiped it out of. It's just frustrating. Kids are running around playing a loud, silly game in the lounge room, and I, I wince as it's like I hear myself raising my voice so that they can hear me from the kitchen. Kids, we're running late already. Stop that game right now until your jobs are done. And just, just, just a little part of me, even as I wince at me acting that way, the other half of me also says, why can't, why can't things just work out where everyone's organising themselves to give me time? I end up leaving the house a bit later than I wanted to, to uh, partly because I had to pay this electricity bill that's overdue, and then I remember that the car's low on petrol, so I've got to stop by the servo on the way past. And so I start calculating in my mind, where can I safely and legally and away from speed cameras, uh, make back some of the minutes to get to this meeting on time. But then a boat floats under the bridge and I'm stuck on the eastern shore while we all just sit there for a few minutes. So much for getting ahead on uh, this week's sermon. It was a little bit undercooked last week as well. The small gains that I'd been hoping to make, but it's just never got there. another morning. I feel a hand on my shoulder. Mel's helping to get up, helping me to face the day. And it's just briefly twigs in my head that after all these years of poor sleep habits, Mel's being so gracious to me this morning. And I thank God for her ability to choose not to criticise the obvious flaws. I can hear Fiotti asking me about making Cray Mix for his breakfast, and I love that he's just so persistent with me and yet so gentle. And I ask God that other people would see the good things in him as he goes through his day. As I walk past the window, and it's a big window, I take a moment just to stop and look at the mountain before walking down the steps to the kitchen. And, and the golden light is just hitting the, the organ pipes with a depth of colour you'd sort of only expect to see in the afternoon. And I just wonder, in the new creation, will I be able to see even more beauty in exactly the same view than I, can, than, I, than I even enjoy this morning. As I see the organ pipes against the crisp white snow. I feel the tightness in my calves as I descend the first few steps. And I thank God again for John, the surgeon, who did such a good job with my knee reconstruction that I could go and play soccer on the weekend. I mean, God, you gave me so many years of sport and so many memories from it to enjoy and embellish. Oh, no, just enjoy. Uh, with, more, with old friends. Mel's working today, which means I'm on lunches. And it's been interesting to get to know the kids better as we plan out their lunches together and have mock trials over who ate the leftovers from last night that we all wanted. And it does feel good when they get off to school on time with a fresh, full lunchbox to look forward to for the the school that day. And yes, that did happen once. The kids are running around playing a loud, silly game in the lounge room. And I love that they're having so much fun. And I think of a silly way that I can make transitioning from the game to finishing their jobs fun and a part of the game as well. It takes a bit of energy. It's really hard. It took a bit of energy to be the monster and, and, and to scare them out into their rooms. And, and I do feel like I'm constantly putting out that energy for the other people. But then I remember... Oh, hold on, actually, I chose this. I chose and continue to joyfully choose to be married to Mel. I choose kids and I choose being an engaged dad and to enjoy them. 
getting up and trying to act human, that is me time. There's plenty of me in that. I get to my meeting a few minutes late. But in the end, it was worth it to drive safely and to spend the time enjoying that golden sunshine rather than stressing about trying to make up time on the drive. It's actually a good opportunity to be honest and repentant with the person that I'm meeting. So I end up telling them the truth that it was actually me being distracted and getting up late that took more time than stopping to fill up for petrol. And I'm really sorry for wasting their time. And it felt good to be honest. I'm actually really quite understanding. It was a good morning. Now, what are the differences between the two stories that I told? What do you feel? What do you notice? What did you see? Because they are two very different experiences, but of the same morning. Which means that the difference was actually within me. And I want to suggest to you tonight that the first story is what happens when we approach our time looking for gains. And the second, when we approach life as a gift to be enjoyed. So as we spend this evening together, and this is a time, like a morning, for us to choose how to approach it, I want to introduce you to this powerful word from God to us and to start to get a grip on these two different ways of approaching our time. Gift and gain. Time is a gift to be enjoyed or time is a resource to be harnessed for achieving and for productivity. That's where we're going. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't know Ecclesiastes, it's in the middle of your Old Testament. Um, and if you don't know what it's all about, well, that's okay, because neither do a lot of the scholars. And I'm not trying to say that as if I do and they don't, but if you go to your evangelical sort of commentary section of Kurong, if you just go up to Launceston sometime, then uh, and you read all the evangelical commentaries on Ecclesiastes, it's different to reading the commentaries on Galatians and Ephesians. Because they all pretty much kind of say the same thing. Well, maybe Galatians a little bit, but just generally they're saying the same things. You get to Ecclesiastes and, and they all say different things. It's maybe some people say it's an example of what not to think. So the whole book is actually like what not to do. So you don't fall into that trap. Um, others say it's like this, is, this book is a critique of atheism showing you that you need God to have any meaning in life. So it's like pre-evangelism. You, get, you, you, you sort of you know, knock them down with Ecclesiastes and then you bring them up with the gospel again, right? that sort of thing. Um, others say, actually, no, there's a rich philosophy of life in here that's, that's wise. And still others will say, well, it's sort of just counterbalance it with Proverbs and you kind of need a bit of each. It's kind of half true, and, but you need to balance it. So I guess... I guess I want us to sort of come to this with an open mind because what that means is as I, as I unpack this passage and as I try and show us what I think God is saying there, it's probably not going to be what you think because <laughs> that's, I don't know if I, could, if I could ever do that, even if that was the objective, right? And it's certainly not the way that I preached this the first time around either. So the idea is let's all sit with this and try and listen to God afresh tonight. Here we are. All right. What type of book is it? We are in a wisdom book. It is a uh, like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, and Job wisdom book. They're not a part of the storyline. They are wisdom. 
they're, they're, they're practical philosophy. So they're not, um, they're, not, they're not in the plot. Someone, one of the people in the plot, so someone from up there, decided, right, everyone who's going to come in the plot after me, I'm going to write down all of these things that I've learned so that they can have a better life. So that's where it sort of fits into our big story. And each of these guys have actually got a really different angle, a different way to help you live well. So, for example, Proverbs, one of them is a, a very super practical, wise woman. Uh, she's, uh, a, she always knows the best way to do things in life so that it'll turn out right. That's what you go to Proverbs for. Ecclesiastes is a bit different, though. Ecclesiastes has got a little bit more of a different role. Has anyone seen the Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams? Yes, excellent. I love the smiles that went up with those hands. Uh, the man on the desk is John Keating. And as you can see, he's not your average English teacher. He is not Lady Wisdom giving you the standard stuff. He is teaching a bunch of young men to think for themselves. His job, as he sees it, is to help them see things from a different angle. And that's what Ecclesiastes does. It gives a completely different angle of Proverbs, and that's what we'll be exploring in the series. Now, who wrote the thing? Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Well, this is, this is a fun one, right? Let's open her up and have a look. So you've got your Bible. You're going to have a look at the start. Grab it there. So I always appreciate seeing it in my own text. Um, and we're just going to introduce you to someone. The words of the teacher. Son of David, king in Jerusalem. Teacher. A gatherer, literally. A gatherer of students, though, probably. The guy who gets the kids together and starts teaching. Son of David, king in Jerusalem. Nice. This guy looks like he's an important guy. But the funny thing is the spoil sport doesn't really tell us which king, does he? Just that he is a king, son of David. That could be descendant of David, king in Jerusalem. That could be. We'll see. This is, yes, exactly right. Your mom is straight to Solomon. Could be Solomon, right? Anyone else? Yeah, a few other people sort of thought, oh, maybe Solomon. Well, that would be good because Solomon was wise. But he doesn't tell us. Why not? doesn't say it's Solomon. There are some hints further down there. Let's have a look as we go. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone else who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. This is what the teacher thinks about himself, which makes it sound like Solomon. I mean, like, this is the guy who's got the reputation for wisdom, right? It's, it's, where, it's where people's minds went. But it also makes it sound not like Solomon. Because do you see what he says? Anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me, I'm wiser than any of them. Now, who ruled over Jerusalem before Solomon? Dad, that's it. Like, yeah, over all of them. Yeah, I'm smarter than Dad. Like, that, like it's, it's, it would be a strange thing to say, wouldn't it? See, the author deliberately doesn't say that the teacher is Solomon, but he has said just enough to put Solomon in all of our heads, if you know the biblical story, if you've, if you've got that background, which I think is exactly what he meant to do. We're meant to take the words of the teacher as Solomon-level insight. Pay attention, he says. But if you've ever seen Columbo, you know there is always just one more thing. Did you notice who's speaking? In verse 1, it's not first person, it's third person. Smoke, smoke, says the teacher. He's not talking about himself in the third person. He's not, he doesn't do that. Someone is writing and telling you what the teacher said, and then the teacher starts talking in verse 3. 
Now, it's the same at the end of the book, actually. If you flip forward to uh, chapter 12, uh, we hit the end of the teacher's material. And whoever put this thing together for God's people, for Israel, put the book out there, puts in some concluding remarks. So when you put it all together, it looks a little bit like this. Okay, 12 chapters um, and uh, a little bit at the start from the, t- from the author and a little bit at the end from the author. Like a stimulating English teacher, the author is handing you a classic. He's grabbed this stuff and said, you've got to read this. This is like, this is Solomonic. This is, this is a bit edgy, but brilliant. And so just like a responsible English teacher, the author then puts a little editor's note at the end just to make sure you don't take it and run and go crazy places with it. Because <laughs> this is edgy stuff. So keep in mind, in Ecclesiastes, what we're reading is actually, at one level, there's two voices we hear through Ecclesiastes. There's the book we're reading, the book that our English teacher has, is reading out to us in class, is handing to us and saying, hey, you've got to read this. This is going to be good for you. This is going to change you. But don't draw too many conclusions. Don't, don't draw too long a bow until you've read the note that your teacher snuck into the back of the book so that you can just have that right direction at the end. Now, does that make sense? Do you guys feel like that, that the, you get, get where I'm going with this, what the book of Ecclesiastes is? We are going to dig in to chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read out a translation that you probably don't have in your book. Smoky smoke, puffs of smoke, everything is smoke, says the teacher. The word that you probably have is, I'm guessing, meaningless or maybe vanity. And in the NIV, the word behind that, the, 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 so the Hebrew for the where the NIV translates as meaningless, it just means mist, vapor, breath, smoke. And it could mean something like meaningless, like that word, you might use it for that word, but that's not what the teacher means by it exactly, and it's not what he means by it here. He's thinking something a bit less weird and a bit more physical. He literally means your breath. Your breath on a cold morning. You can see it. You can see it, right? It's actually a thing. It's there, but only for a moment. And then whew, it's gone. He's saying it's mist. Everything's mist. Everything's smoky smoke. It's puffs of smoke. It's, it's, it's just there, but then it's gone and not there. And so this word, you could say, well, it means temporary. Here today, gone tomorrow. In the same way that James says in the New Testament, what are you? You're just a mist who's here today and gone tomorrow. So it's, it's, it's a metaphor, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, a, a beautiful image, but it, it doesn't just mean temporary, it could mean other things too, like any, good, um, like any good sort of metaphor, it's got sort of layers of meaning that you could have, and maybe he uses it in one sense in one passage and in a different sense in another. And so the other thing about your breath on a cold day is also that you can't grab it. I mean, you have to have a lot of garlic, I think, to be actually physically able to grab and get a hold of the breath that comes out of your mouth, put it in your pocket and store it and be able to then take it out later on and show someone. Now, it's actually there. Your breath is very real. It's a thing. You just can't grasp it. And in the grasping, you're probably going to disperse it. You can't keep it. And such is life, says the teacher. Everything under the sun, no matter how real it looks, how solid it seems, is temporary, is mist is vapor is smoke and will resist our attempts at taking hold of it in order to gain from it 
the teacher thinks we need an entirely different mentality to approach our life. And so he gives us, as I love, he gives us a poem. Fantastic. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? What's the point? What do you gain? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises and the sun sets. I enjoyed one of those and hurries back to where it came from again to do it all again the next day. The wind blows to the south, then it turns around to the north, and around and around it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. You ever wonder about that? Why doesn't the sea fill up? To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. Now you can see from the way that I read that, there's actually probably a couple of ways you could read this. Does he like the fact that there are these cycles? Does he like the rhythms? Or is he saying, oh my goodness, man, it's just, it's, this is the same old, same old. And when you read it with the word meaningless, and then with you read it with some of the other words later on, it can seem quite negative. But I just want to ask us, think, just, just think again for half a second. If you think back to creation, how did God make the world? Whose idea was this whole cycle thing anyway? Was it pre-sin or post-sin that God decided that he was going to use the sun and the moon to mark the days and seasons and years and give us rhythms in which to exist? Our moon, our solar system, our galaxy are all arranged to run around in circles and yet there is not frustration in that. There is joy in that. It is the, it is the, 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 the twinkle in the eye of the astrophysicist there's a provision and a blessing in that, a gift. Have you ever, have you ever um, gotten up in the morning and, and said, hey, everyone, hey, everyone, come over, come, come over to the window, quick. And like, what, 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 what is this? It's like, look, look, it's done it again. The sun's come up. Look at it. It's there again. Isn't it incredible? You probably haven't, I'm guessing. But <laughs> have, you, have you ever stopped and marveled at the water cycle? Isn't it cool? I had this really daggy, annoying song that whenever I say those words, it comes to my head, like from my, uh, from my homeschooling days when I was a kid, evaporation and condensation, water, cycle, anyway, sorry, I might put you through it. But it, 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 like, it, it's there, but I love this, this really cool thing. The sea doesn't fill up, it never gets up, but the water keeps flowing, how does it work? And, and it's actually this beautiful thing, this cyclical, rhythmic thing. And when God saw it in Genesis, he rejoiced in it and called it Good. Now, it's not an efficient creation in that sense, let's put it that way. Its uh, net growth figures are barely reportable. Uh, the, uh, the sun doesn't seem to be really investing its excess energy in anything uh, productive. A lot of wasted stuff just goes off into space. And there's no strategic plan for growth for Mount Wellington. By the, but by the time blackfellas started hanging around here, the mountain was already ancient. And by the time white fellas started hanging around here, no one could remember the names of the first black fellas. And 500 years from now, when no one remembers that a Russian pastor has ever even visited Hobart, let alone worked here, that mountain will still be sitting there doing its thing. And there's something actually magical and special about that. Jesus may even have had the teacher in mind when he asked a similar question that the teacher asks. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul, his life? 
See, Jesus seems to think that profit and gain are deceptive, life-denying goals, and that in seeking them, we risk losing our soul. I mean, Jesus had a different way of living, didn't he? He he, he had a really joyful way of living. He was able to be present and to stay connected to himself and other people in moments that like, just exposed other people because of their anxiety and, and, and the, the, their, their nervousness about gaining the things that they felt they needed or grasping, keeping hold of them. It'd be nice to be like Jesus. Now, I'll admit, the next verse, if you're sceptical, the next verse does sound a little negative. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. Okay, you win. <laughs> No, probably, that's probably fair. And yet, <laughs> it is interesting that the Hebrew word for things isn't the same as ours. You see, you can translate the Hebrew word devar there as things, but even when it's talking about idea, even when, even when you translate it things, it sort of means thing in the sense of ideas, matters, issues, more often than it is objects. So the word here is the, the the word here is the word word. And so read it with me and see if this casts a different complexion on the poem and where it's going. Not all things are wearisome, all words are wearisome more than one can say. Because the eye will never have its enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. And what has been done, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. It seems to me that the writer changes tack from the realm of nature to the realm of words and human chatter here. It's words that are wearisome. When people talk about things that they don't really know about, when they say things that are just chatter. Could could this be possible? Let's have a look at the place of words in Ecclesiastes. How How does Ecclesiastes treat words? What does it think about words? Well, chapter 5, verse 2 and 3 um, let your words be few. Many words mark the speech of a fool. So human words are associated with foolishness as opposed to divine words, which are good. Same thing in Ecclesiastes 10 again. But then particularly here, chapter 12, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to these words, of making many books, which of course are full of words. There is no end, and much study wearies the body. The same word in Ecclesiastes 1, words are wearisome. Ecclesiastes starts and ends with warnings about the wearisomeness of words. Do you know, know, or maybe are you that guy who can talk things up a bit? You know, someone who's got the gift of the gab and they can talk up a whole bunch of stuff and it does feel like they're talking up a whole bunch of stuff. When I was, uh, when I was younger, I um, played roller hockey, and one of my teammates, uh, I was just sort of getting into the senior men's team, and uh, I was sort of you know, new around the dressing sheds, and I'd like a bit of banter. I like to talk a little bit. And um, after a while, he just said to me, Hey, Pete, you can say the stupidest things with such conviction that anyone will believe you. <laughs> I kind of liked that. I thought, oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but but there, there was this, just this thing of like, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff in what I was talking about. It was, just, it was, it was, it was, it was chatter. I'm so excited about my new job. It's going to be the making of me. And you talk it up. 
the chatter of the advertising boards that chat at us and talk their product up. Revolutionary, life-changing. The mountain's still going to be there. Going to change the world. I'm going I'm I'm to change the world. I'm going I'm to become this great person who's going to change the world. The world's sun's still coming up. Moon's still doing its thing. I'm about to start a new diet. You're going to love the new me. I'm going to be a completely different person. What was the last thing that made you roll your eyes? That humans just, with their words, that don't last, and that end up being wearisome. I wonder how many generations of chatter like mine, the mountain, has seen. We're only just dipping our toe in tonight, starting to open up the things that the teacher is, is laying out for us. And this question that he lays out for us of words being recent, but then also of gift versus gain. How are we going to approach our life? I wonder if, I wonder if you experience time more like the first morning that I described or more like the second morning that I described. How do you experience your time? You see, Time is a, a, quant, a quality of thing as well as a quantity of thing. I can feel busy. How much of my feeling of busyness is to do with what's going on inside me and how much of it is to do with the actual amount of work and activity that I do? Because I can feel hugely busy and yet also feel unproductive or lazy. Is the feeling really actually the reality? And if that's true... If there's actually a sense in which maybe I'm actually so living for gain, there is, I'm so invested in gain, I'm so anxious, unlike Jesus, unlike Jesus' recommendation to not be so anxiously invested, pushed around by um, feeling the demand to make gains that my fears and anxieties are raised and I feel like there's so many things that I need to do. Maybe that's actually what's making me feel busy. Do you live in the demand to make gains? That there are objectives and pressures that drive your behaviours that stop you from being human in moments that you wish you could be. God, God gave us these rhythms to take care of us. It's a part of his generosity in, in Genesis. It's supposed to remind us of how good God is to us. But then we pretend that we have to take care of ourselves. And then we resent being so busy doing it. I mean, I've, I've always wanted to do this and find out the answer to this equation. I, I, and it'd be really, I'd love to find out the answer to this equation in Hobart. How much money is earned, consciously, deliberately chosen to, 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 to work to earn that money in order to be spent on addressing stress, emotional damage, relational neglect, family, um, uh, breakups and difficulties that are caused by the stress of earning the money. And yet we live in a world where the culture is one we need to gain. The wind doesn't know about that. There's no... There's no uh, if if, if uh, the Hobart government you know, did a productivity audit on the wind... You know, the, the, the 
results might come back that uh, there has been no detectable uh, net increase in the productivity and the gain in wind speeds across the city of Hobart over the last 50 years. And we will actually now have to finance a further study in order to you know, fund ways that we can change it. See, the, the natural world is a different way of being and existing. And it cares for us. It's there for us. And I just wanted to, to, to encourage and, to, and to, to expose you to this beautiful passage that asks you what's going on in your heart. How do you experience your time and why? And the rest of, as we go through the book, we'll start doing a little bit more detail work. God, I'm going to ask our God now to be with us and for us to be conscious of his goodness to us so that we might receive and enjoy life as gift, knowing that he's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for rhythms, things that can feel like ruts, but they're things that I chose. They're things that I want. And yet I resent them on my worst days. Father, we just ask that you'd open our eyes to see your goodness to us, for it is hard. There is frustration and evil and brokenness in this world. But Father, your spirit can and does. Father, please make us like Jesus who was present where he was, wherever he was, because of his great trust in his Father. And so, that, Lord, we ask that uh, for now, for this week, but also by the end of this series, that Jesus' words about not being anxious for anything would not be this horrible struggle pointing out where we're, where we're, where we're not like that, but that we would even stop worrying about the fact that we can't stop worrying and that we might live in proper thankfulness to you for your gifts. We ask you that so that we might say thank you for you answering this prayer too. In Jesus' name, amen.